Lesson number 110, Surah At-Tawbah, ayah number 107 to 116. وَالَّذِينَ And those people who اِتَّخَذُوا They took, meaning they made, مَسْجِدًا A masjid, a mosque. For what purpose? For worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? No. They made this masjid. Why? ضِرَارًا To cause harm. وَكُفْرًا And in disbelief, وَتَفْرِيقًا And to create division بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Between the believers. And why else? وَإِرْصَادًا And as a station, for who? لِمَنْ For the one who حَارَبَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ Who waged war against Allah and His Messenger. When? مِنْ قَبْلُ Before. In this ayah, what is mentioned? The incident of Masjid Dirar. When the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, there was a man by the name of Abu Amir al-Rahib. Abu Amir al-Rahib. What does al-Rahib mean? A monk. So basically, he was a very religious person who was respected for his religiosity. And he was not a pagan. He was not a mushrik. In the days of Jahiliyyah, he had accepted Christianity. So he was a Christian person, he was a Christian man, a monk, very religious, well known for his religiosity. People respected him a lot. And he was an Arab, he was from the tribe of Khazraj. Now what happened was that when the Prophet ﷺ migrated, he came to Medina, he gave da'wah to everybody, from the Yahud to the pagans, everybody. Now this man also, Abu Amir al-Rahib, the Prophet ﷺ, he invited him, recited the Qur'an before him, called him to Islam, but Abu Amir, he refused. He refused. He didn't accept Islam. Okay, la ikraha fid deen, there's no compulsion in religion, meaning you can't force a person to become Muslim if they don't want to. But this man, he was very angry. He became an enemy of Rasulullah wasallam, And he became very miserable basically, very upset, because before he was known as someone very religious. People respected him. And now he was no longer a religious figure. Everybody was seeking guidance, advice from who? Rasulullah wasallam, Because he was not just a religious man, he was a prophet of Allah. So remember Abdullah bin Ubay, he was more like a political figure. He felt threatened from the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because he felt that he was not respected anymore. He didn't have much authority in the political sense. This man had a problem. Why? Because he was a religious leader and he felt threatened. He didn't accept. And while Abdullah bin Ubay, he accepted Islam outwardly. All right? And he secretly plotted and planned to harm the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. This man openly opposed the Prophet ﷺ. Openly. In Medina he did that. When it didn't work, when all of his people were becoming Muslim and going to the Prophet ﷺ, and he was left basically on his own, he didn't accept Islam. What happened? After the Prophet ﷺ was victorious at the battle of Badr, This man, he just went crazy basically. He was really angry. So he left Medina. <laughs> he couldn't stay there anymore. He left Medina and he went to Mecca. And he tried that somehow the Arabs would wage war against the Prophet ﷺ. You know in, in Sirah we learn, these people came, fought the Muslims. These people came, fought the Muslims. Why? Because there was always someone inciting them. 
somebody or the other. So while we learned that the Yahud went to Makkah and incited the Mushrikeen several times, this man also went to Makkah and incited the Arabs. It is said the battle of Uhud, this man had a big hand behind it. He went to Makkah, incited the Arabs against the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. So what happened then? At Uhud he came with the Mushrikeen. Okay, he came with the Mushrikeen and he called the Ansar. He said, come on. You know, we are, you know, the same people. And this man, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa you know, leave him, abandon him. Why are you with him? But obviously the Ansar, they didn't pay any attention to this man. So Abu Amir, he got very upset, very furious. And he is the one who dug holes in the battlefield. One of, in which the Prophet sallallahu even fell during the battle. And he got severely injured. So this is the man who did that. Anyway, after Uhud, he was a little happy, but he was not satisfied. He didn't stay in Medina. He kept far from the Prophet ﷺ because he hated him. But he tried many different times to harm the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. When the Prophet ﷺ conquered Mecca, this man, Abu Amir, he escaped to Ta'if. He ran away to Ta'if. But what happened after the conquest of Mecca? The Prophet ﷺ went where? Which battle was fought? You learned about it in the surah, the battle of Hunayn. Remember? The tribes of Hawaz and Saqif, right? So basically Ta'if was also taken. This guy is like, where do I go? He couldn't avoid Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I mean, whoever he joined ended up being with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So eventually, what happened after the conquest of Makkah, soon after that, he headed towards Asham, the land of the Christians. And he wanted to incite them against the Muslims. And it is said that it is because of his activities that the Romans were preparing against the Muslims. So the battle of Tabuk, the expedition to Tabuk also was mainly because of who? This guy. He's to blame. But when he headed to Sham, he sent messages to the people in Medina. Which people? His people, meaning his tribesmen. Alright? So the Ansar. And there were 12 people in particular whom he influenced a lot. And he said to them, look, I'm coming back to Medina and I'm going to bring with myself Romans. I have their support. I'm a Christian. They will support me. I'm coming back. And yes, Muhammad wasallam, he's conquered Mecca. He has a lot of power in Medina, but we're going to come and finish everything. But I need your help and support. And he said, I want you to make a masjid. Show that it's a masjid where people are coming to pray. But it's not actually built for the purpose of prayer. It's built, why? So that you can, you know, plot and plan against the Muslims and, you know, keep connected with me. Why? So that, you know, we can do all of this under the name of a masjid, but no Muslim will ever doubt us. Right? They will say, okay, it's a masjid. People are going over there. They're just praying together, but we're not going to be praying over there. We're going to be plotting against the Prophet ﷺ. This is where we're going to collect arms. This is where I'm going to send my people. This is where they're going to come and stay. So this is going to be basically a hub where we're going to decide all of our affairs and then eventually attack the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims and take over Medina. Do you understand? This was his idea. So 12 men from the Ansar, they were influenced. These were hypocrites. And what did they do? They built a masjid. Not inside Medina, outside, closer to Quba. Remember Masjid Quba? The first masjid that was built when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, 
right? He stopped at Quba, he built a masjid over there, stayed there for a couple of days, prayed over there from Monday to Friday, and then the Prophet ﷺ went inside Medina, and over there, Masjid al-Nabawi was built. Alright? So this was very close to Quba. These munafiqeen, they went to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, you know, we really need a masjid, another masjid, because, you know, there's so many people, and it's difficult for people to go to the masjid, Quba or Medina, when it's rainy, when it's dark. So it will be very easy if we have another masjid. Now this was something that was quite common in the sense that there were people who would have to walk to the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and then when it was rainy, it was muddy, it was difficult for them. So, for example, we learn about this one companion, Ritban, radiallahu anhu. He had very weak eyesight. When the weather was not suitable, he would find it very difficult to go to the masjid. So he requested the Prophet ﷺ that please come pray in my house. And you know, my house will be like a masjid for me and the people who live close by whenever it's difficult for us to go there. So the Prophet ﷺ would do that. He would go there, pray there. And then from that point onwards, that place would be taken as a masjid. And there were many such masajid all around Medina. So these munafiqeen, they said, we can do the same thing. And he wouldn't have any idea and we can run all of our activities secretly and the Muslims will have no clue whatsoever. So they made the masjid and they went to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, could you please come and offer prayers over here? Because when you will pray here, then we will take this place as a masjid. You know, it will be a source of barakah and so on and so forth. The Prophet ﷺ was about to leave for Tabuk. He said, I'm busy right now. When I return from Tabuk, I'll stop by at Quba and then I will pray in your masjid. But what happened? On the return journey from Tabuk, when the Prophet ﷺ was a little far away from Medina, these ayat were revealed. You're not allowed to pray in that masjid. This masjid is going to be demolished. Because it's only a show of piety, of righteousness. In reality, there's something else going on over here. They're showing that they're doing a very virtuous act under the banner of Islam. But in reality, they're doing something completely different, which is going to harm Muslims and Islam more than it's going to benefit them. And this man, Abu Amir, he was known as Ar-Rahib. But because of all of these activities that he was doing, he was known later as Abu Amir Al-Fasiq. Abu Amir Al-Fasiq, just like Abu Jahl. He was known as Abu Al-Hakam before, the father of wisdom. And he became the father of ignorance. Abu Amir al-Rahib, the pious, the righteous, became who? Abu Amir al-Fasiq, the sinner. Because his righteousness was not genuine. It was not sincere. If he really worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would have supported the Prophet He would have some kind of, you know, dignity, even in his opposition. The enemies of the Prophet they can be divided into two types of people. One group of those who oppose the Prophet ﷺ, but they stoop to very cheap and really bad ways in opposition. So they would mock at him, they would call him names, they fought against him and so on and so forth. But there were this other group of people who disbelieved in the Prophet ﷺ, but they still had some level of dignity. Alright? They didn't resort to cheap ways in opposition to the Prophet ﷺ. This man, what did he do? He resorted to very terrible ways in opposition to the Prophet ﷺ, right? So he became from Ar-Rahib to Al-Fasiq. And you know this man, Abu Amir, his son was the companion of the Prophet ﷺ, Hanzalah, radiallahu anhu. 
And you know who he was? He was the one who when he was martyred, he was actually in the state of Janaba. Because he was in the state of Janaba, but the Muslims were going to the battle, so he went quickly. He went immediately. He didn't even have time to take a bath. So he went. And he was martyred. And you know what happened? The Prophet ﷺ saw that he was being bathed by the angels. Ghasilul Malaika, he is called. He is the one who said one day, Nafaka Hanzala. I have become a hypocrite because he felt that I am different when I'm in the company of the Prophet ﷺ and I feel different when he's not around me. So imagine what a great companion he was who died as a martyr. But his father, Al-Fasiq, the sinner. So Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مَسْجِدًا ضِرَارًا Those people who made the masjid, ضِرَار, ضِرَار, is to inflict ضَرَر on the other, to inflict harm on the other. They built the masjid not to benefit the community, but to do what? To harm the community. وَكُفْرًا Not with iman, but with disbelief. وَتَفْرِيقًا And to create division, farq. Dividing بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Between the believers. Because when they were building this masjid so close to Quba, what was going to happen now? The number of people who attended Quba would reduce automatically. Right? It would have an effect on the people who attended that masjid. So tafriqan, division. بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَإِرْصَادًا Irsad from the root letters رَصَدْ دَالْ رَصَدْ We have read the word marsad earlier. A place where a person lies in wait for the other, watching for the prey to come so that as soon as it comes, he can attack. So irsad refers to what? To sit and observe an observation post. Surveillance base. So this was going to be an irsad, meaning a station for who? لِمَنْ حَارَبَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ مِنْ قَبْلُ For the one who waged war against Allah and His Messenger before. Meaning for who? Whose station was this masjid going to be? Which guy? What was his name? Abu Amir. Abu Amir, because he sent word, right? Make this masjid, I'm going to come join you. We're going to run all our activities in this masjid. People won't doubt us because it's supposed to be a masjid. And we will have everything planned out. And then we're going to attack the Muslims. Allah says, وَلَيَحْلِفَنَّ And surely they will definitely swear, إِنْ أَرَدْنَا إِلَّا الْحُسْنَى We only intended husna, good. We had good intentions. They will swear to you. Wallahu yashhadu innahum lakadibun. Allah bears witness that indeed these people are liars. Now many times it happens that you see someone doing something that's apparently good. Apparently good. Even if it's something like opening a masjid, creating a Muslim organization. But you're not comfortable. Or you begin doubting their intentions. And these days really people doubt everybody. They don't trust anyone unfortunately. What do we see over here? Look for four things. Is it going to be dirar? Is it going to harm the Muslims or is it going to benefit the Muslims? Is it going to harm Islam or is it going to benefit the cause of Islam? Secondly, kufr. Is it promoting kufr? Is it promoting iman? The people who are putting this together, what's the level of their iman? What's their iman like? What's their amal like? Are they known for their piety, for their obedience, for their salah, or are they known for their sins, and so on and so forth. وَكُفْرًا Thirdly, tafriq. Is it going to create unity amongst the Muslims, or is it going to split the community? Because sometimes what happens, people, they get upset with the Muslim organization, they were working with them, they weren't listened to, so what do they say? We're going to leave you, we're going to start our own thing. So they start their own thing. Now the community is divided. 
But don't think that the opening of every masjid is going to create division amongst the Muslims. Sometimes there's really a need to have multiple masajid, to have multiple centers, you know, that are helping the Muslims, right? Umar anhu, he had this rule, that no masjid should be built in a place that will cause the rows of the present masjid to be reduced. Meaning, the attendance will become less in the first masjid. Sometimes what happens is that there are two masajid on the same road, on the same street. But both are serving different purposes. Alright? They're serving different purposes. The presence of one does not affect the other. In fact, it's only strengthening the Muslim community because now you have more places, more services. Alright? So for example, one masjid holds its jama'ah at 2.30 and the other masjid holds its jama'ah at 1.30. Now the people have a choice. If they can make it for 1.30, make it. If they can't make it for 1.30, at least they can join the 2.30. One masjid offers a khutbah in Arabic. The other masjid offers a khutbah in English, for example. You're serving more people. This is not dividing, splitting the community. This is just helping the community. This is what tafriq. People are going to be divided. They're going to be like, we're better than you. Our masjid is better than yours. We're doing a better job than you. Tafriqan. Fourthly, the fourth thing that's mentioned over here is, it's going to be a station for who? Who's going to be strengthened? Those who support Allah and His Messenger, the cause of Islam? No. إِرْصَادًا لِمَنْ حَارَبَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ مِنْ So these are four things that we need to look for if we ever have doubts about someone. And if we don't see any of these things, then please trust your Muslim brothers and sisters. Allah says, لا تقوم فيه أبدا. You're never standing in it. The Prophet ﷺ not allowed to stand in that masjid. Instead, Allah says, لمسجدٌ Surely a masjid. Usisa. It was founded from Hamza seen seen. It is to lay the foundations. So the masjid whose foundations were laid upon what? على تقوى on تقوى on the fear of God. من أول يومين from the first day. Which masjid is this being referred to? Quba, the masjid of Quba. Allah says that is ahaqu, more deserving, antaqumafi, that you stand there and pray. Because praying in masjid Quba equals how much reward? How much reward? Umrah. Umrah. And the Prophet ﷺ regularly used to go to Quba to pray over there. Sometimes walking, sometimes on his mount, he would go there. Allah says that masjid deserves more that you stand in it. And why else? Because fihi rijalun, in it are men, meaning people. The people who go to that masjid are who? Yuhibbuna ayyatatahharu. They love to purify themselves. They love to keep clean. Wallahu yuhibbul mutatahirin. And Allah loves those people who keep clean. What kind of cleanliness is this? Spiritual? Okay. But not just spiritual, even physical. Because at-tahur, shatrul iman, cleanliness is a big chunk of faith is half of faith. So they love to keep themselves clean. And in particular, what is being referred to over here is that they wash themselves with water. You see, the Arabs, they had very little water. Which is why we see there are three ways of cleaning yourself after you use the restroom. One is istijmal, just wipe oneself. Wipe oneself with what? The Arabs used to use clots of clay. Alright? Or like for example, a rock or something. You just wipe yourself dry. You remove the filth. The other is that you use water. And these are all valid ways. The second way is that you use water only. 
And the third is that you combine between istijmal, meaning you wipe yourself and you wash yourself. So what did they do? The people of Quba, they would wipe and wash themselves. How particular are we about our clothes? Right? That they should be completely clean. They were more concerned about tahara, that there should be no najasa, no filth on our bodies. فِيهِ رِجَالٌ يُحِبُّونَ أَن يَتَطَهَّرُوا وَاللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَهِّرِينَ Allah loves mutahirin. Allah loves those people who keep themselves clean. So if we want to earn the love of Allah, then while we're very concerned about the cleanliness of our clothes and the perfection of our makeup, we should also pay close attention to the actual tahara of our body, which is removing the najasa, the filth properly. Washing ourselves after using the bathroom correctly. You know, the people will be punished in the grave. One of the major reasons will be what? One of the major reasons will be what? Not being careful about the splashes of urine. You know that? This will be the most common cause of punishment in the grave. Not being careful about the splashes of urine. So, وَاللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُطَّهِرِينَ Allah loves those people who clean themselves. Likewise, wudu. About certain people, it's mentioned in the Qur'an that angels take them, meaning take their souls at the time of death while they are طَيِّبِينَ They're clean, they're good. And they say at the time of death that come out, O pure soul, who was in a pure body. Cleanliness is so important. If you think about it, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded Ibrahim and his son Ismail to build the masjid, to build the masjid al-haram, the Kaaba, one of the commands that he gave them was what? An tahira bayti. Clean my house. Keep it clean. Purify it. For who? For those who come and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the masjid. Cleanliness. Does it have importance in our religion, tahara? Does it? So much so that if you think about it, your hands may be perfectly clean, your face may be clean, but before you pray, you are required to wash yourself up. Isn't that amazing? What does it show? The importance of cleanliness. Cleanliness of the body, alright? Cleanliness of thinking, cleanliness of clothes even. Right? Cleanliness of the house. If you think about it with regards to the body, let, let's start with the body. Cleanliness of the body. What does that include? What does that include? Washing yourself up, right? So that if there's any impurity on your body, you remove that. Likewise, if there's any unnecessary hair, and especially in the pubic areas, what is an obligation on every Muslim man and woman? Should he just leave them? Should she just leave them? What is their obligation? That they must... Get rid of them. They must remove them. It is of the actions of fitrah to get rid of hair in the armpit and hair in the pubic areas. Right? It's of the actions of fitrah. In fact, we are not allowed to leave ourselves in that condition for more than 40 days. You know that? You cannot leave hair in these areas on your body beyond 40 days. You have to remove them. This is an Islamic obligation on us. Right? So body, likewise after menstruation, taking a bath, after the state of Janaba, taking a bath, right? Taking a bath on Friday for men is an obligation, right? Washing yourself up, first thing in the morning, doing wudu, performing salah is an obligation. 
Before going to sleep, sleeping in a clean state, in the state of wudu, that is also highly recommended. Isn't that? So think about it. The body even. The Prophet ﷺ, he used to love to clean his mouth so much that he would say, that if it was not difficult for my ummah, I would have made it necessary for the people to do miswak. Right? So we see that physical cleanliness has so much importance in our religion. Now after the body, let's move on to the clothes. What about them? You know, wear the same abaya over and over and over again, even if it's stinky and smelly. You know, there's a stain somewhere, yeah, quickly just take it and clean that part off, even if the rest of the abaya is stinky and smelly. Is that how we should be? No. Wearing clean clothes. Because you know what? When a person goes to the masjid, when a person goes to worship Allah, even if he's standing in his home, then who's close to him? Angels. Angels come close to him. Right? The angels of mercy. And the angels get annoyed by the same things that people get annoyed by. And this is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ prohibited that people should come to the masjid after eating raw garlic and onion and such things because they will have bad breath. And that will be a cause of annoyance for the angels. And you know, some scholars, they were even of the opinion that it is not allowed for people to pass wind in a masjid. Pass wind. Come on. You should know that. I'm trying to be polite over here. So they said it's not permissible for a person to do that in the masjid. Why? Because the smell is a cause of annoyance for people. And also for who? For the angels who are over there. So then how can we think that it's okay for us to wear a smelly hijab, a smelly jacket, and a jacket that smells of onions and food? Because we don't like to open our windows when we're cooking, so it's okay if our house stinks of food and our clothes smell of food. Right? And God forbid if somebody come to our house and then they have to go outside with their clothes smelling. The other day we went to this restaurant and oh my God, my jacket, it stunk for like a week. I couldn't wear it. I could not wear it. I had to leave it outside hanging for so long. Because it was so smelly. The food, you know, it just got into it. And sometimes it happens when you go to people's houses. Right? That we are so focused on just eating that we don't realize how smelly it is. And the smell is getting into our clothes and other people are getting offended by that smell. Right? Likewise in winter, we go outside, our abayas especially, especially what happens to them at the bottom. You know, all those salt stains. Right? And we keep wearing the same abaya over and over, and we go to the masjid and we pray, and what happens when we go down into sajda? That abaya is coming in the face of the person who's standing behind you. Come on. Would you like to put your forehead on something that's so dirty? No. So what's the difficulty? Alhamdulillah, we have washing machines that are so easy, they just have to press a few buttons. Literally. You don't need to hand wash stuff and dry it, you know, hang it and so... You just have to use machines. How difficult is it? But still we become lazy. So cleanliness of the body, cleanliness of the clothes. After cleanliness of the clothes, cleanliness of the place that we live in also. Right? The place that we are at. In a hadith we learn that angels do not come to a house, a place where there is urine. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ forbade people from doing urine in a bowl. Because in those days, there were no built-in toilets within the houses. So what people would do is they would have a bowl or something, 
And if they had to urinate, they would do it. And then whenever they'd go out somewhere, they would spill it. But for some time, that urine would just be sitting in the house, you know, in the corner or somewhere. The Prophet ﷺ did not allow that. But what happens? Sometimes we use the toilet, we don't bother to even go like this. Really. How difficult is it to move your fingers two inches down with a little bit of pressure? Do you have to fill a bucket of water and dump it into the toilet? Do you have to do that? No. All we need to do is just go like this. I don't know what happens though. We become too lazy at that time. So we leave the urine inside the toilet. Sometimes we don't children to be careful. So what happens? There's urine splashes everywhere. We're careless about these matters. And these are very serious matters. Right? So cleanliness of the place. Likewise, think about it. The bed that we sleep on, right? The carpet that we do sajda on, the floor that we're standing on, the house that we're living in, the stairs we go up and down, are they clean? Or are they stinky? And they're dirty. When is it that we clean our houses? Typically. Huh? When people are coming over. Who's more important than people? Angels of Rahmah. Angels of mercy. Who are going to come and witness your prayer. They deserve more adab. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls them kiraman. Angels that are noble. So I'm not saying don't clean your house the next time somebody comes over, do that. But clean your house otherwise also. And cleanliness, especially removing filth, removing najasa, impurities. Right? So Allah loves people who are mutahirin, who clean themselves. And if a person remembers this, Allah loves people who keep clean, then it will become easy to keep ourselves clean. Right? You know, sometimes children, they don't want to take a bath. Mothers, you know what I'm talking about? Right? Or you're like, come on, let's brush your teeth. And they run away. Right? So, this is one thing that we can tell them. You know, Allah loves people who clean themselves. Who clean themselves. Don't tell them, I will love you, and your friends will love you, and your teacher will be so happy with you, your hair looks so nice today. Who cares about teachers? Who cares about friends? I mean, children don't, right? Make them feel that if you clean yourself, Allah will love you. Allah will love you. So, وَاللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُطَّهِرِينَ Cleanliness of the body to the cleanliness of the heart at every level because Allah loves those people who keep clean. Allah says, أَفَمَنْ is then who? أَسَّسَ He laid foundation. بُنْيَانَهُ of his building. عَلَىٰ upon taqwa fear مِنَ اللَّهِ of Allah. He laid the foundation of his building on what? What was the foundation? Taqwa min Allah, the fear of Allah. Secondly, waridwanin and approval. Whose approval? Allah's approval. His building, and building over here doesn't just refer to a building like a physical, tangible building, but it can also refer to any endeavor, any goal that a person sets for himself and he starts doing it, any action. What's the reason behind that? It's founded on the fear of Allah and striving to gain His approval. That's the objective of this task that He is performing. Allah says, Is He khayrun? 
is he better am or man who assasa he laid foundation bunyanahu of his building ala upon shafa edge shafa from the root letters sheen fa wow what comes to your mind when you hear this word shafatain what are they lips right so it's like edge of your mouth so shafa edge jurufin juruf from the root letters jim rafa juruf is basically cliff or a bank right i want you to think about let's say a lake all right and the bank is let's say rocky so lots of rocks okay and what happens the water keeps coming in hitting against the rocks against the pebbles against the sand so what happens over time that at the top it seems like those rocks are very firm but when you look down you see that there's a big hollow right why because when water continues to flow right or hit against a place what happens at the top it remains the same but from the bottom becomes empty so what will happen if you stand at such a ground what will happen if you stand on such rock what will happen with a little bit of pressure you'll go down with it right think about it like this you saw lots of snow right and then you saw people shoveling their driveways and lots of snow piled up on the sides but what happens as the snow melts what happens you see that it's there at the top but from the inside it's all melted so what happens when you step on it your foot goes down immediately why because it's hollow from the bottom so this is what jurufin is juruf such a bank such a cliff that's hollow i mean there's nothing underneath it it's very weak it's not stable at all and it's harin harin what does it mean one that is about to fall qareeb as-suqut one that is about to fall so one is a person who constructs his building on the foundation of fear of god and seeking his approval and the other is a person who constructs his building on the edge of a cliff that is about to collapse so when he will construct his building what will happen fanhara bihi if it's about to fall you'll just step on it and what's going to happen it's going to fall with him fi nari jahannam in the fire of hell wallahu la yahdi alqaum adh-dhalimin and allah does not guide the wrong doing people two types of people are mentioned over here in nasa'ikum rashatta right people are performing different different actions depending on what their goals are but actions they're based upon what innama al-a'malu binniyat if the intention is sincere if the intention is good then whatever action that is done that is performed based on that intention will it have value will it mean something yes it can have a lot of value so much so that remember the story of the prostitute woman right who gave water to a thirsty dog hmm good intention small action but this action will take her where to jannah will bring her what allah's forgiveness good intention small action so meaningful so powerful so strong 
And on the other hand, if the foundation is weak, if the foundation is not correct, then even if you build a mansion on top, what's going to happen to that huge, massive structure? It's going to go down. It's going to finish. It's not going to bring you any benefit. Right? If you think about it, any kind of action that you do, whether it's worldly, religious, you know, something related to money, food, anything that you do, you have to start good. The base has to be good. Because if the base is not good, no matter what you do afterwards, it's not going to work out. Right? Like for example, if you're cooking some food, alright? And let's say you're making something that's Pakistani Indian. Alright? And the first step is that you have to fry the onions. If you don't fry the onions, you burn the onions. What are you going to get? What are you going to get? Food that has a dark, weird color and has a weird taste to it, it's not going to be nice. Right? The base has to be good. If you're cooking a sauce, right, and you didn't cook out the flour properly, what are you going to get? What are you going to get? Weird kind of sauce that has no thick consistency. It's not together. Watery here and thick here. It has no flavor. The flavors have not mixed properly. Correct? So any action, its success depends on what? The base. How it began. How it started. Why you started doing it. So what do we learn over here? If the intention is the fear of Allah, meaning a person does it really out of the fear of Allah, and he's doing this in order to make Allah happy with him, then even a little bit of action will be good inshaAllah. It will go far. But if the foundation is weak, it's based on the intentions like mentioned over here, ضِرَارًا وَكُفْرًا وَتَفْرِيقًا بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَإِرْصَادًا لِمَنْ حَارَبَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ مِنْ قَبْلُ Then, what's going to happen? No matter what a person does, it's not going to bring any benefit to a person. In fact, it's going to bring him only ruin. Because فَنْهَارَ بِهِ فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمْ That apparently righteous action is going to take him where? To hellfire. Apparently righteous action. Don't we learn about people who will be questioned on the Day of Judgment? The first people who are going to be questioned, one of them is going to be who? Someone who used to read the Qur'an. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to remind him of the many blessings that Allah gave him. And Allah will ask him, what did you do? And he will say, I learned your book and I recited it. Allah will say that you are lying. You didn't do it for my sake. You did it so that you would be called a reciter. So you were called a reciter. You got your fame. And now you've got nothing. So that person will be taken to hellfire. Imagine what an amazing public image. The construction of the building, the outward appearance, very beautiful, very glittery, very glamorous, very amazing. So much so that people praised him. But because the foundation is not correct, it is weak, then this action is going to take a person to hellfire. It was done to show off, it was not done with sincerity, then this apparently righteous action is going to take this same person into hellfire. What do we learn from this ayah then? What is it that we really, really need to work on? Hmm? The intentions. Why am I doing this? What do I want from it? 
what do I want from it? Is it just the praise of people? Is it just so that I can also be one of such and such people? So that even I can have lots of followers, even I can have lots of likes, likes, likes. Is that the goal? Is that the objective? What a weak objective. Because it's not going to bring anything. لا يزالوا Allah says لا يزالوا What does لا mean? No. يزالوا It will cease. لا يزالوا It will never cease, meaning it will always remain. It will always continue. What? بنيانهم They're building. Meaning this building, this masjid that these people constructed, Masjid Dira, it will always remain, this masjid alladhi, that which banaw, they constructed, it will always be ribatan fi qulubihim. Ribah. Is from the root letters? Root letters? Ra, ya, ba. What does that mean? Doubt. So this masjid that they built, apparently righteous action, it will always create doubt in their hearts forever. It will be a source of doubt and confusion in their lives. Ribatan fi qulubihim. Illa, except meaning up until qulubuhum that their hearts are cut up. This is referring to their death. Wallahu alimun hakim and Allah is knowing and wise. Basically, what is being said here is that this action of theirs of constructing a masjid in the name of husna, but in reality for evil purposes, this is going to be a source of doubt for them forever. It is going to be a source of nifaq for them forever. Meaning, they will remain on nifaq until they die. The people who built this masjid are going to remain on hypocrisy until they die. Because if someone can go to such great lengths of building a masjid for evil purposes, lying to the Prophet ﷺ, no hope for them now basically. So they're going to continue like this until they die. Wallahu alimun hakim and Allah is knowing and wise. So basically, after their hypocrisy has reached such an extent, now it's not going to end. They're going to remain like this, these munafiqeen. And it happened. There were people who did tawbah, who had committed certain sins, but because they were genuine in their apology, they felt guilt and remorse. What happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted them tawfiq and they completely changed. But these munafiqeen who lied to the Prophet ﷺ built this masjid in the name of righteousness, plotting against the Muslims behind the scenes, their hypocrisy is never going to go away now. You know like we learned earlier also, فَأَعْقَبَهُمْ نِفَاقًا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ إِلَىٰ يَوْمِ يَلْقَوْنَ So as a result of their breaking promises with Allah, what happened? Hypocrisy will remain in their hearts until the day that they meet Him. Meaning until the day they die. They will now die in this state. So what do we see over here? That there are certain actions, certain evil intentions, bad intentions that can have such an effect on a person that it's very, very difficult to go back. It's very difficult to go back, to reverse the damage that has been caused. So this action, this evil action, in reality, what did it do? It damaged their hearts. So now, their hearts will remain damaged until they die. Until the day that they meet Allah. Their hypocrisy is never going to finish. I just have a question. Someone was telling me that they clicked 
a link that said Islamism and a bunch of negative things. And when they clicked it, it was all positive things about Islam. Since they started off with like a lie, would that be an, like an example? It's deception. So it's still bad. Right? I mean, you could write something else that is a source of attracting people, but don't lie. Right? Because many times it happens that people are saying something, but in reality they're doing something different. That is deception. What do we learn about the munafiqeen? يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Right? So even if the objective is good, can we use deceit? No. Deceit is something that does not befit a believer. Right? Because once, if somebody finds out that you lied to them, next time, are they going to believe you? Even children know better. Right? You tell them once, that come here, I'll give you a candy, then you never give it to them. Next time, will they come to you? Uh-uh. They've learned their lesson, they're not going to trust you again. Right? So we see that the munafiqeen, they built the masjid saying that, oh, we're doing something so good, but in reality, they weren't doing something good. So we have to keep away from such deceit. Let's listen to the recitation of these verses. وَالَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مَسْجِدًا ضِرَارًا وَكُفْرًا وَتَفْرِيقًا بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَتَفْرِيقًا بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَإِرْصَادًا لِمَنْ حَارَبَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ مِنْ قَبْلِ وَلَيَحْلِفُنَّ إِنْ أَرَدْنَا إِلَّا الْحُسْنَى وَاللَّهُ يَشْهَدُ إِنَّهُمْ لَكَاذِبُونَ لَا تَقُمْ فِيهِ أَبَدًا لَمَسْجِدٌ أُسِّسَ عَلَى التَّقْوَى مِنْ أَوَّلِ يَوْمٍ أَحَقُّ أَنْ تَقُومَ فِيهِ فِيهِ رِجَالٌ يُحِبُّونَ أَن يَتَطَهَّرُوا وَاللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُطَّهِّرِينَ أَفَمَنْ أَسَّسَ بُنْيَانَهُ عَلَى تَقْوَى مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانٍ خَيْرٌ أَمَّنْ أَسَّسَ بُنْيَانَهُ عَلَى شَفَا جُرُفٍ هَارٍ فَانْهَارَ بِهِ فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمٍ وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ لا يزال بنيانهم الذي بنوا ريبة في قلوبهم إلا أن تقطع قلوبهم والله عليم حكيم. See if a person is doing something that's apparently good. Right, but with a corrupt intention, a bad intention. It's quite possible that for some time, they get their fame, they become successful in whatever they want to do. But what is the ultimate result? What do we learn over here? فَنْهَارَ بِهِ فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمِ Right? Eventually, it's going to collapse with him in hellfire. It's like if the foundations are weak and if a person says, never mind, and he still constructs a building over there, okay, it may last for a year, for two years, for three years, but what's going to happen eventually? What's going to happen? The foundations are going to become weak, weak, weak until the building is going to collapse. Right? So 
anything that you want to do what is the first step what is the first step hmm? choose the right location right why because that is going to be your foundation so the foundation better be good it better start good with sincere intentions and even if it's very difficult seemingly impossible seemingly impossible but you put your heart and soul into it rely upon allah and ask him for khair ask him for blessing for success believe me you'll be amazed by the results you know this building when it was first purchased right alhamdulillah many people were like oh what are they going to do with this building so big and i remember one uh, sheikh yasir qadi he came to visit and he said may this building be so full that it become small for you And alhamdulillah we see that already right you experience that yourself you wish sometimes that the cafeteria was slightly bigger right or the washrooms were slightly bigger so what happens you give your best when you begin something with tawakkul ala allah with hope in allah fear of allah only depending upon him purely for his pleasure and allah will put blessing in it you want to say something Assalamualaikum. I was just thinking of those people who start something with pure intentions and I was reminded of those who compiled um, like the books of hadith and how we still have that and how they only accepted like sahih hadith and they went to great lengths to accept to compile the hadith and we still have it and read it today and i was thinking of prophet muhammad peace be upon him how we know like every aspect of his life and we don't know anyone else's life like that and how like all these pop stars and everyone will be forgotten just in a few years but he he'll never be forgotten ever and that reminds me of the first collection of hadith you know what that book was the first collection the first book that was compiled don't know muwatta by imam malik Imam Malik, he compiled the Muwatta. And Muwatta is from Wata'a, which means to trample, right? To go over something. So basically, he called that book Muwatta because he went through the hadith over and over again, checking, checking, authentic or not, authentic or not. Like he rigorously you know, examined the authenticity of those hadith. So anyway, when he compiled Muwatta, there were many people who started writing Muwattas. You understand? Because if somebody does something good, new, and it picks up and everybody is talking about it, then what happens? Everybody starts doing the same thing. So, so many muwattas came out. So somebody asked Imam Malik that, don't you wonder sometimes if there are so many muwattas coming out, who's going to know which one's yours? And what if yours is forgotten and you know the muwattas that others have written, they carry on. And he said, مَا كَانَ لِلَّهِ بَقِيَ What is done for Allah shall remain. Shall remain. And it's amazing that today we have muwatta in English translation. I mean, there's so many books whose English translation you will not find. But muwatta is one of the books whose English translation you will find. مَا كَانَ لِلَّهِ بَقِيَ Because the foundation is strong, right? So it will not collapse. It will remain. But if the foundation is weak, then give it a day or two and khalas, finished.